Welcome to the Basement Astrologers, coming to you live from the beautiful Pacific Northwest in Puyallup, Washington, and from arid and populous Los Angeles. My name's Kip with Udomania Astrology, and with me is Matthew Williams, the aforementioned uh, Los Angelite. We're coming to you on July 5th, 2019 at 9.08 a.m. Pacific Coast Time. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself, please, Matt? Hi, I'm Matthew Williams. Uh, everything Kip just said is accurate. I'm in Los Angeles, and uh, here we are. And there, I promised to call you Matthew, and I called you Matt right away. It's my Midwestern roots are popping out. That's that's what's happening. <laughs> well, I don't mind. <laughs> okay. Uh, so first, um, Matt, uh, Matthew. I had you on the show. <laughs> Do that every time. It'll, it'll fix me. Um, I had you on the show because you did something amazing. Um, you noticed that there was a need in Astro Twitter uh, for some interconnectivity away from Astro Twitter and um, that that need could be fulfilled by something super useful, which is um, a reading exchange. So you set up um, a way people could contact you, tell you that they'd be interested in being part of the reading exchange. And then what it did was take a whole bunch of astrologers from, frankly, as far as I could tell, all around the world, mm -hmm. uh, put them in a pool, and then you matched them up, and they got together and exchanged readings. So I definitely want to talk about that. I have a million questions. But before we do that, let's let's get to know you. Uh, so you live in Los Angeles now. Is that where you're from? That's right. Yeah. This is the, the area I grew up. Uh, my, my mom has been in the same house since 1979. Wow. Um, I moved away for school. I moved around a bit up the West Coast and then into the Midwest. Uh, and then I moved back last January. Uh, so L.A. Uh, has changed quite a bit since I've been away, um, mostly for the better. Um, and uh, I'm happy to be here. <clears throat> That's interesting. You don't hear that every day. Uh, what's better about L.A.? Hmm. Well, let's see. Uh, so for some context, I, I work in the coffee industry when I left in uh, 2005, there was only one place to get good espresso in all of downtown. Um, and uh, it was kind of a coffee desert. Now it's kind of booming. Um, but that's coffee isn't the only thing that's making LA great. Um, let's see. Uh, there's a lot of development, a lot of people moving here, and people move here to do things. And um, LA is really charged with a lot of optimism. Um, and people want to see you succeed. So people come here and they do it. And people cheer you on while doing it. Um, the, uh, let's see. I'm from the San Gabriel Valley, actually. Um, which is uh, a suburban region just to the east of Los Angeles. And mm -hmm. um, the biggest change that I've noticed is that the um, immigrant population has kind of shifted a little bit. Um, up until I think the late nineties, early two thousands, um, you, you didn't see a lot of, um, immigrants from mainland China, but there's been a huge, huge influx of immigrants, uh, from mainland China. Um, so, uh, which is great. Um, and, uh, like, so the San Gabriel Valley is known for food, especially Asian food. So now you're seeing so much more diversity of Chinese cuisine, which I really love. So that's, that's just another thing that's changed. Um, Elliot's got a lot of space to move. So while a lot of uh, West Coast towns are experiencing a lot of growing pains, LA is kind of kind of thriving. There's not a lot of the um, I mean, of course, there's gentrification that has to be reckoned with, but it's it's different than um, 
than other cities because what we're seeing is renewal of urban blight. Yeah, Seattle is definitely going through growing pains and kind of a a situation where they're trying to refigure out who they are. Yeah, it's a big, um, big squeeze. Yeah, and and just a, an influx of kind of the tech people who previously uh, were out in the suburbs. I mean, separated from the main city by an entire lake. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now Amazon plopped right in the middle of town mm-hmm. and sort of took a spot that was vacant and could have used some refurbishing, but basically decimated it and put up like a Sims, whatever those giant <laughs> like things that everyone lived in in the Sims, like they put one there and, and that's Amazon. Yeah, Queens are part of the landscape. So <clears throat> you mentioned the food scene and that's um, the food in L.A. is supposed to be great and getting better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, and you brought up mainland China. I, I have this theory uh, that we that that is one of the great untapped culinary parts of the entire world because it's such a huge country. It's huge. And it was incredibly regionally diverse. Mm-hmm. And we just know a tiny little snippet of, of what they produced. Are, are you starting to get to dig into some of the interesting stuff? Oh, yeah. Is it blossoming? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm within walking distance from what's regarded as one of the best Sichuan restaurants in the country, um, yeah. which is down the street from another really great Sichuan place, which is uh, <laughs> down the street from a place that I haven't gone to yet, but it's, uh, I'm going there on Tuesday, actually. It's, it's a, a Uyghur place. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So Chinese Muslim from the um, northwest of China. Um, and hot pot places are popping up all over the place. Um, you know, you, you have uh, like restaurants that represent regional cuisine and um, it's really exciting. That, that's really cool. Are you into comedy? That's the other thing that I, I need to visit LA for. Uh, I'm, I'm comedy adjacent. Uh, I've gone to a couple shows. I, one of my coworkers is uh, he, he does the comedy circuit and oh, really? uh yeah, and uh, I need I need to I need to work that connection a little bit more because he's always got something going on. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of like you know really accessible, but like you know backroom really good comedy stuff. I mean, it's there's tons of it, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of it's really good. It's one of those places where if you're not good at it, you just go away. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So um, you said that you were into coffee. How did you get um, into coffee? Do you, do you roast? Do you taste? Do you help set up the shops? Kind of all of the above. I feel like it's sort of a one of those businesses where you need to be holistic and lend a hand everywhere. Yeah, throughout my, my coffee career, I've worn a lot of hats, but um, I I got into coffee not by going to cafes. I got into coffee as a home roaster, um, oh, as a really? as a hobbyist back in like uh, what fifteen years ago, um, and then when my uh, college career and ambitions to go to grad school kind of imploded i decided that i really just wanted to work in coffee so um worked in coffee for quite a while now i, I don't know uh, let me let me think uh 11 11 years maybe more 12 um and uh my special specialization is roasting coffee so right now i work for a company out here and i do all the roasting uh, which involves a lot of quality control, of course, and tasting and being really involved with everything that goes into uh, that. And then, you know, quality control of the output as well. You have a magic palette. Um, I have a, a Virgo Midheaven. <laughs> I was, I was, I was going to let you bring up Virgo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, actually, I, 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 I love talking about my Midheaven in uh, 
relation to coffee because it's so literal. Coffee roasting. Uh, if you'll indulge me for a moment. Oh, that's um, why you're here. <laughs> my my midheaven is 21 degrees Virgo, um, and which is in the bounds of Mars. Mm-hmm. So what I do is I analyze the uh, analyze and assess the intrinsic qualities of a raw agricultural product. This Earth sign for you, and uh, Virgo the analysis, Mercury of course, um, and then I take that agricultural product and I transform it into a food product using fire and metal, which is where the terms of Mars comes in. There you have it. <laughs> That's awesome. And I love it when it gets so literal. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So my, my son is at 22 Virgo in my fourth house. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's great. Um, so, uh, yeah. And, uh, luckily for me with the astrology, a, a mutable, mutable midheaven gives me room for two career paths. And also um, kind of insatiable thirst for knowledge, which, uh, you know, coffee is a bottomless pit. There's regionality. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah. Every every country is different in so many ways, not just in how it tastes, but like um, export logistics, uh, production methods, processing methods. Uh, the more you learn, the less you know, just like astrology. So um, is there so for wine, there's a sommelier. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And uh, Mercury's going too slow for me to pull the term for beer. Um, but is there a similar term for a coffee taster? Uh, oh, man. Now you've got me thinking about uh, the beer. Uh, oh, gosh. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come to us like a half a an song, but that's no, the name of a beer. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, not really. Uh, I mean, there is a certification for people who assess uh, quality control. Uh, mm-hmm. it's called Q grader. It, it's, it's this, it's yeah. kind of like the Somali equivalent, but with a, um, much more limited, uh, application. So like <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't, yeah. you wouldn't go to a cafe to talk to a, a Q grader to decide what coffee to buy. Q graders are, are strictly involved in, um, assessing qualities of co- qu- the quality of coffee, either at origin or um, at the import export level. I think I've read about the process. I'm now envisioning someone matching like a six course meal with a cup of coffee for each one and just how wired you'd be. Uh, it could be done. It could be done. Oh, Cicero. Oh, Cicero. Sure. Cicero. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, there we yeah, go. I knew it was an S or a SC combo. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, that's um, that's a fun job. And of mm-hmm. course, as someone with a Virgo son, Mm-hmm. The idea that you're working with an agricultural product that has various levels of quality and you need to pick between one or the other and mm-hmm. then perfect it and make it better. I'm obviously super into what you do for work. Yeah, and to make it better, I have to create systems and structure and because it has to be methodological to be repeatable. And then you have to explain to people exactly the temperature at which to roast it and, and uh, when you should drink it when they get it. Yeah, yeah no, mm-hmm. I, I love it. Yeah, awesome. cool. <laughs> Uh, so you mentioned you went to college. Did you yeah. study in the Los Angeles area? No, I went to UC Santa Cruz, and that was the first time that oh, I wow. that I got to live outside of um, Los Angeles. Um, and so to me, that was like that was Northern California. It's like wow, that's really up there. Even though if you look at the map of California, <laughs> it's like right on the center line. Of, it's still NorCal. It is. I mean, yeah, of course. Uh, and then people from Los Angeles go up there and realize that um, there's this rivalry between NorCal and SoCal that people from SoCal either don't know about or don't care about. Um, but yeah, I, uh, yeah, Santa Cruz is beautiful. Uh, yeah. I, 
I, I went initially to, um, uh, I was drawn to UC Santa Cruz because of their minor in electronic music, but my music studies didn't really work out. So I ended up studying linguistics instead. Oh, sweet. Uh, yeah. I, I have two undergraduate degrees and one of them is in cultural studies, comparative literature. Oh, cool. Is cool. rife with linguistics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Linguistics. Yeah. Um, so yeah, ling- linguistics, uh, like Chomsky and structural linguistics mm-hmm. is just so systematic and, um, Wittgenstein. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's what I did. And as I, as I mentioned before, my ambitions to go to grad school kind of caved in on me and I, I pursued coffee professionally at that point. Yeah. <laughs> I think you went the right way. Mm-hmm. Plus, you know, while the coffee's roasting, you have free time to study astrology. Um, yeah. So I, I love California and we could talk about that forever. Mm-hmm. Maybe a second podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you get into astrology? What was the pull? What introduced you? Oh man, that's a long story. Uh, but I'll I'll try to just hit the bullet points. What sure. what initially introduced me uh, was a friend of mine in high school. Um, there's uh, there's actually an analog to this in my coffee story, where the the thing that first introduced me to home roasting was this newspaper article in 1993 when I was in the third grade and I just didn't know it and I didn't know what to do with it, but it planted a seed that germinated, uh, years later. Same. You were reading the newspaper in third grade. Well, yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, my parents did, they sat down, they drank coffee, they read the newspaper. So yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so a friend of mine, uh, in, in high school brought, uh, brought to school. It was, probably like Parker's astrology or something like that. And she was getting really into it. And, uh, so she was, she was like, Oh, when's your birthday? Let's find your moon sign. I was like, there's more than just sun sign. Of course, you know, everyone has, has that experience at some point. And so she described, uh, cancer moon. I was like, Oh wow, that's so me. And, uh, learned that there was a lot more to astrology than the sun sign, sun sign stuff. Um, but this was at a period of time that I was um, becoming what I would now call an obnoxious atheist. Like, um, and I guess this 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 has to be mentioned as well. This was at a this was um, a time in my life when I was suppressing the uh, the sensitivity, um, for lack of a better word, that I was experiencing as a child. Like, uh, really sensitive to. Uh, you know, bad vibes, um, no supernatural stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I was just really, yeah, really sensitive, really vulnerable to, uh, you know, outside things, whether natural or supernatural. And the only way that I could really cope for it, cope with it, because I had really square parents that didn't know what to do with me, um, in more ways than one. Um, I just had to squash it. So I, I just turned into, you know, like, um, uh, you know, materialist, empiricist kind of thing. So, uh, I didn't recover from that for a number of years. Um, fast forward, uh, let's see, um, what really softened me to get into stuff like this was getting into Buddhism, specifically Zen Buddhism, as, um, as uh, Saturn was transiting my son, and my son rules my ninth house. Uh, 
started med- meditating and this and that, and that really just like softened this that whole you know obnoxious atheist kind of thing. Um, fast forward a few years, living in Wisconsin, the the real major turning point in my my studies, but also my life, was um, getting infected with Lyme disease. And at its worst, I experienced um, cognitive debility. It was uh, it was a really bad time in my life. Um, so uh, after that spell of cognitive debility, my quote unquote brain was just different. That right brained, you know, atheistic materialist that was already being softened, uh, like that right brain. Um, was kind of overpowered by this emerging left brain. Um, and like, I know that, you know, what age was this? Let's see. This was 2930 right after my Saturn return. Saturn return was moving to like splitting up with my partner and moving to Wisconsin. And then I got Lyme disease. Um, and so better than probably than alcoholism, which is what most people get when they move to Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah. Well, gosh, when I went when I moved to Wisconsin, <laughs> I didn't really understand that. And then I was like, oh, oh yeah, I'm gonna no live out knows. in the country, I'm gonna have this like really clean living, and this and that. And I was like, oh man, everyone drinks. Um, a lot. A lot, yeah. In ways that can't be expressed unless you've been to Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like some of the the like most of the top ten drunk driving cities in the country are in Wisconsin. Um <laughs> And obesity. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I mean, the two kind of go hand in hand. Um, <laughs> but uh, I got, yeah, I got Lyme disease. And uh, actually, you could, you could see this whole drama play out in the transits of Saturn um, during that time, time period. When I, when I first got it, um, was in the early summer of 2015 when Saturn entered Sagittarius, which is my first house. Um... And then it went retrograde back into Scorpio. I was miserable that whole summer and I didn't know why. And then um, literally the day Saturn ingressed into Sagittarius, um, going from my 12th house to my whole sign first, I got diagnosed with Lyme disease. So it was the hidden becoming visible. Um, And then Saturn went over my ascendant, went retrograde, went back over my ascendant went direct, went back over my ascendant, and this whole, like, healing drama didn't actually resolve until Saturn entered Capricorn. But um, the worst of it was happening as Saturn was uh, transiting my ascendant. And, um, yeah, I just emerged. Different way of thinking, different way of learning, different way of really looking at the world, because it was really dark at some point, and... Um, I'm really grateful that I had this meditate, like this already established meditation practice to kind of keep me a little grounded because it was really dark. And the only thing that really kept me going was this sense of something, uh, like something huge and bigger and, uh, you know, the ineffable that's both outside myself, but also present within myself. Um, so it was kind of like, you know, an ego destroying experience really changed the sense of self and, um, but the way of, of thinking about things that was different just opened me up to looking at different things. And I kind of got into astrology by accident by getting into tarot by accident. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I got, into, I got into the astrology really heavy. And I, I, get into my, I get into my hobbies, just like I dive in, just like with coffee roasting. It's just like, oh, you can roast coffee? 
great. I'm going to buy everything you need to do this and I'm going to learn how to do it. And this is what I'm going to do. Um, so I, I really, I'm really into my hobbies and, um, I just really dove into the astrology pretty quick. Jupiter, uh, uh, Jupiter's in Capricorn. Uh, so I'm satirizing Jupiter's in Capricorn, um, which I've grown to really appreciate. Uh, it's not the best placement for, for Jupiter. It's an understatement, but, um, it's a focused workhorse Jupiter. Yeah. And it's conjoined to Mars. Um, oh wow yeah it, i have a, a similar second house uh jupiter mars conjunction oh wow cool um yeah, not cap and uh and i've got saturn and scorpio in the 12th uh, with mutual reception with mars um that so, sounds like coffee roasting too like yeah in a room kind of by yourself loud noises yeah uh-huh and yeah it's very rich it, deep it's, smells exactly it's very it's an like coffee roasting is um I mean, like, I think this, that configuration that I just described has indications for, for alchemy, which I'd really like to um, pursue at some point. Um, and there's, there's an analog with coffee. Um, there's a trans- transformation of the raw material, but really it's um, everything that happens during the roasting process is very internal as well. There's, like, every, every coffee has its own personality in the roaster, and you really have to engage with it as if it's a living object and so you are the steward of this process but it's like really internal both cerebral and intuitive work as well and uh let's see both my moon and saturn are sextile my midheaven um but uh so it's there's this analog of this of this like parallel internal transformation that happens with coffee roasting as well and uh so not to wax too poetic about it and over-idealize it, but uh, it takes a certain type of person to roast coffee, I'll say that. Loving what you work, <clears throat> loving your work is so good for Virgo. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. go on and on. Yeah, um, I think that's all I've got for now, but I'm sure something will come up again. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Um, that's uh, So kids, Lyme's disease mm-hmm. is an autoimmune disease carried uh, by a virus in deer ticks, which is a tiny little tick. Well, actually, it's um, it's it's a bacteria. Um, sorry, it's a spi- right, it's a it spirochete. It's a spirochete that uh, like syphilis that mm-hmm. uh, evades treatment and mimics other diseases, um, and it affects people different ways. And um, it does have the potential uh, to create autoimmune conditions as well. They're calling that now post Lyme disease treatment syndrome. So the takeaway, and thank you, mm-hmm. uh, and I, mm-hmm, syphilis, like I have a deep knowledge of it, which I really don't. <laughs> um, but uh, just to bring this up, if you're playing around in the Midwest, fun place to be in the summer, and you go anywhere near long grass or fresh growth, long sleeves, long pants, I don't care how hot mm-hmm. it is. And DEET is super important because it's nothing to play with. Yeah. You get home and you see a circle, a red circle on your skin, anywhere you think you were bit, go get antibiotics. Yeah. Like, don't wait. You have to do it. If you go outside at any point, you have to do a tick check and do it with a buddy. Oh, like get hundred percent. Get naked. You have to do it um, because they used to say that it takes twenty four hours for the tick to um, introduce the pathogen into your bloodstream, but that's they're finding that that's it, any any amount of time that the tick is on you is a window for transmission. So you don't want to mess with it. 
Serious business. I believe um, <clears throat> that the Rainbow Gathering, which just broke up um, yesterday was the big day, is in the Midwest. Um, so please, folks, if you're out enjoying yourselves, take checks. Uh, <clears throat> there, there's my <laughs> there's my Virgo nanny stating, <laughs> stating you up. Um, so now I want to get into the well. Who did you have you who have you studied with anyone now? What what yes. forms of astrology are interesting to you? Let's not let's not leave astrology before we get to. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do study with some folks. I have studied with some folks. I think that um, having a teacher is really important. Um, let's see, that whole configuration that I, I described, especially the, the Jupiter and Capricorn, I, I feel a tremendous uh, responsibility to have uh, a uh, like recourse to tradition, and teachers are a big part of that. Um, let's see. Uh, I, I pretty, pretty early on in my astrological, uh, probings, I, uh, I knew that I was interested in astrology, but like the more, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, modern oriented stuff just didn't really, um, didn't really stick with me. And I was like, I want to learn this. This is so interesting, but this, this isn't sticking with me because I, um, I, I need structure and uh, methodology, and I like I like the specifics that emanate from the general, um, and learning those general things so that you can make creative decisions that are informed. And I didn't find that in the modern astrology. It, it it's like it's kind of like when you learn learn tarot. It's like the modern stuff seemed more like memorizing the meaning of each individual card rather than learning the numerology and the element theory and that kind of thing. So I, I like learning the like top down general to the specific. And I, uh, luckily quickly found that, um, traditional astrology offered this. Um, I, I shopped around for some traditional programs and, uh, I, uh, started studying the, uh, the Robert Zoller medieval mm -hmm. course which I'm still technically in, um, that, uh, that course is such a butt kicker that I, uh, I really needed some supplementary help. So, uh, I ended up taking Chris Brennan's Hellenistic course. I'm in Austin Copics, um, year two class right now. I took, um, uh, I took Christopher Warnock's horary course, but, um, I didn't, I didn't do my final project yet, which is kind of a long time outstanding. Uh, cor correlates with my move, and I just haven't done it. But um, I love horary. Uh, I'll finish that. I'll, I'll finish the solar course eventually. Um, but that's uh, that's kind of the the wheelhouse that I'm in. I love that you were kind of pushed, <clears throat> or didn't didn't we'll say didn't vibe with of that modern mm -hmm. and we'll say new agey version of astrology as much. Mm -hmm. And then you went to Robert Zoller, like as far as yeah. opposite yeah, end of the exactly. as you could get. Yeah. <laughs> like, so were you terrified when you read his uh, description of Saturn in the 12th house? You're like, Oh, I'll be locked in an insane asylum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know he does. He does quote a lot of the, you know, the very black and white traditional sources of, of indications, but, uh, uh, <laughs> so of course you go you go to the teacher and you uh and you say like is it that bad it's like no these are extremes and like you just have to really meditate on this and uh like 
it's not that bad. Don't worry about it. So that's part of my practice too. It's just, yeah. I love the idea of taking all those signifiers because mm-hmm. <clears throat> of course, astrology, as I think we can all agree is, is multivalent. Yeah. The, uh, as the symbols, um, and signifiers emerge that they, they necessarily mean more than one thing because they're applied mm-hmm. more than one scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, knowing Zoller says this could mean prison. Um, that's a signifier, right? Not, yeah, not a, not a description. And at one time when a, a, a society was more rigid, right. It, it right. might've been more of a, you know, you're shooting at the middle of the dartboard with that, but yeah. we don't live in, in the United States in that time right now, at least not, as uh, two white guys. <laughs> yeah, right. We don't. Yeah. I but it could also, chocolate. but you know, it can also manifest, uh, and I, I kind of hate using that word because of the, you know, like new agey cachet that it has manifest, but it could also um, turn out to be something like uh, imprisonment and uh, to addiction, things like that. So you have to really unpack what they're saying. And so a big, like this touches on a big part of my, my practice, which is like contemplatively engaging with texts because that's really the only way you can crack it i i couldn't agree more and having different angles mm-hmm. talking about the same set of signifiers yeah, yeah um and and for me i find things valuable when those different um angles at those same signifiers are talking in harmony yeah so i understand that they're getting at the same thing they're describing in a different way and that's what nourishes me yeah yeah. So yeah, I'm picking up what you're putting down. I thought a lot of that was really lovely. Um, so the astrology exchange. So this yeah. is really neat. Um, yeah, I think it was just an offhanded tweet. You know, people need to get together. And I remember retweeting it right away and mm-hmm. saying, this is a great idea, folks. You know, mm-hmm. sign up for this because um, someone's willing to do some work for you. Um, it's going to give you access, not just to uh, someone you can do it, uh, an astrology consultation with, or get one in return from, but so you can sit face to face with other members of your community. And that's just invaluable. Mm-hmm. So um, how many people signed up? Uh, 56 people from oh all six inhabited continents. That's amazing. Which was way more than I bargained for because I, I initially put out that, that <laughs> feeler tweet on Sunday, like Sunday after it was a Sunday afternoon. And I was expecting like four or five people that I like had met from, uh, met at Norwalk or something like that to be like, oh yeah, this sounds pretty cool. You know, get some like like lukewarm interest, and then uh, yeah, people like you retweeted, um, uh, Kelly Surtees retweeted that no kind way. of thing. Yeah, and I was just like, oh my god, what have I done? Um, because <laughs> I'm sorry. no, 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 it's it's all it's all for the better. Um, I didn't, I had, I had no idea at the time what it would even look like. So when uh, all these people started to express interest, I realized that um, if I wasn't going to do it now and figure it out now, I would just end up letting a bunch of people down. Um, So that kind of pressure really just motivated me to figure it out really quickly. And the next morning, I was like, okay, this is how it's going to happen. I'm going to do a Google form to get people to sign up. But okay, what should this look like? And really quickly, everything just like fell into place. Uh, Mercury was in Gemini at the time. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. So that really helped me out. Um, and uh, so I was like, well, this has to have something for everyone. Um, but that 
doesn't happen with one exchange. So how many should we have and what should those exchanges look like? And so I, I came up with a structure pretty quickly and like that Google form survey and description and everything just kind of like filled itself out. It was like not me that was doing it. So, um, so yeah, I, I uh, publicized that a bit and uh, people retweeted. It got some publicity and 56 people signed up. So for those of you who are not familiar with what's going on, uh, like how this is structured, what I'm referring to when I talk about that, we have three rounds. Um, and uh, this Google form that I made is uh, part of the information that I collected was what field of astrology are you interested in? Are you interested in modern, strictly modern, traditional, strictly traditional, both, or something else like Uranian or Jyotish? I didn't get any Uranian or Jyotish people, but there was a, uh, there was a good mix of uh, all those categories. Um, so the first round, I wanted to um, match people of um, similar experience levels in the same tradition. Uh, second round, I wanted to meet, uh, match people of similar experience levels of a different tradition. And then third round, I wanted to just use a random number generator and randomly assign partners um, so that everyone would get some, just a different experience, not just um, having a different uh, audience, but getting a different kind of feedback. Because what I really wanted this to be about was not just doing it, but getting feedback from someone who speaks the same language. Um, because that's what's really missing in our astrological education is um, being able to uh, talk shop in a really personal way. Like you're dealing with your own natal chart that you already have some familiarity with and to expose that to someone who's trying their best to speak to you in, in your same language about what you already know is like, um, it's pretty bonkers. Yeah. And then to do it repeatedly and kind of, I mean, a fairly short period of time. Yeah. Yeah. Each uh, round is two weeks. Yeah. No, it's, it's great. And then afterwards you set out another survey. Mm -hmm. I know that I couldn't find time to, to uh, organize with my first person. I, yeah. I really should loop back around and see if we can do it. She was in England and the second person was, was in my, even my time zone. And mm -hmm. we've, we've already, um, we've already done our, our exchange. It was great. Cool. Um, it was fantastic to meet her. She's not from far away. Mm -hmm. Um, Besides just um, getting that feedback, and and you're right, um, that level of intimacy with your own um, chart, and then being able to exchange pointers with the person directly is is really invaluable. I think Opa does some stuff like this, um, just to give them a shout out. They're they're attempting to get interpersonal dialogue there, uh, but Opa is also really designed for people who are looking to be professional astrologers. And I think mm -hmm. that a lot of astrologers, um, it, I, I hate the term side hustle, but I'll use it here because I think it's descriptive. Mm -hmm. um, they're really into it. They study a lot. They're happy to do readings uh, when people can fit into their schedule. Uh, but, you know, their goal isn't to abandon whatever they're doing as their their career and, and focus only on astrology, which I think is sort of OPA's direction. And that's great. I mean, I'm like props to OPA. Mm -hmm. Great. It's a great organization with great people involved. Mm -hmm. um, it's just there, there was a niche and you found it and you just hit a home run. And I really want to applaud you and let people know about it. Thanks. Um, where my motivation really came from was my uh, 
kind of the clarity that my experience at Norwalk gave me. That was my very first astrology conference. Um, and uh, I ended up having a lot of conversations with people about why I struggle to do consultations, like like the, the roadblock for me to keep me from doing more. Um, and uh, like I already mentioned, I have, you know, I feel this like uh, tradition, this um, tremendous uh, responsibility to have recourse to tradition, which means I don't want to be wrong. Um, (laughs) so it's like, I feel like I need to learn so much more to even be able to engage with people. Um, and, um, to be honest, to, to, to confess, I, I have this feeling that natal astrology probably just isn't for me. And I, I want to, I want to try to like salvage what I have for natal astrology. Um, and what I mean by that is like, you know, natal astrology is great or whatever, but, uh, my, I, I, I think as I learn more about astrology and my place with it and, um, how it fits me, uh, I think I'd really like to just specialize in horary and electional and, um, solve, you know, concrete problems, people coming to me with, you know, concrete problems to solve. Um, because that, like, that vague gray zone of, like, uh, you know, the, uh, every needle consultation is different and people have different expectations and different needs. And, uh, that's terrifying to me. That's like, that's literally terrifying to me. And someone at Norwalk, um, uh, an associate of mine said something like, uh, they were talking about dealing with people's trauma. And was like, uh, well, if we're not helping people deal with trauma, like, what are we even doing? And I'm like, oh, crap. Like, is this what I signed up for? You know, like, I feel... Uh, not- was it Jessica Lignato? No. Because <laughs> she talks about trauma nonstop. Oh, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was um, someone who's in uh, one of my classes with me. And but okay. I, was, I was like, uh, I don't want to let people down. And I want to be able to offer what I'm the best at. And I think I'm just not that great at natal. Um, I mean, I love it. It's great. You learn so much from it, but so this is, this is my attempt to like, uh, like I said, salvage what I have for natal astrology. I think that's incredibly self-aware. And I mean, if, if you've come to that conclusion, it's gotta be correct. And there's, you seem to be apologizing. I just don't think it's something that needs <laughs> well, an apology. Well, I mean, I think part of, part of the, the, the larger, the larger picture, the bigger picture that like uh, that I'm about is um, we have this idea of what a professional astrologer is, and it's mm-hmm. this track of studying natal astrology, doing natal consultations, and then going into teaching. It's like this, like this is the like the tenure track for professional astrologers the and threefold path of professional astrology. Yeah, and. Um, I, I think that model is really an artifact of the um, Pluto and Leo generation, like this person-centered, um, uh, like consultation model um, that um, we haven't really started to re-examine yet in the traditional revival. Um, does that does that make is this landing at no, all? No, 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 one hundred percent. Okay, um, so just to throw this out here, and I've talked about this a lot, um, you know, astrology went away 
um, kind of during the 16 and 1700s, scientism, yeah, right, under the rug, mm-hmm. and then the it came back as a spiritual practice um, through theosophy, yeah, and really was integrated back into Western culture through therapy, mm-hmm. and for a long period of time, uh, we'll say the 40s through the 80s at least, if not if not, and it continues today. Um, individuals tried to wrap astrology into their counseling or psychological practices. Yeah. It was a big deal to get a PhD and be a, a uh, be an astrologer too. Uh, it was it tried to lend um, heft, weight, ballast to the practice. And then, of course, the focus was on individual counseling. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and then if you r- wrap that together with this traditional resurgence, which frankly, I, the you know, I went to UAC last year. And it, it still was the that was the first time there was a traditional lane of lectures at an astrology conference. And now at NORAC, one year later, um, people were apologizing for using the modern rulers of Aquarius and Scorpio. I mean, it's really going fast. Wow. And what I'm looping that back to is the idea that orary and electional astrology mm-hmm. are things people can do and they're completely legitimate. Yeah. Um, you know, that that's just something that astrologers know right now. There are very few people, right. you know, outside of astrology that are aware that these are things you can go to an astrologer for. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 nascent. And you're that's why I don't think you have nothing to apologize for. You know way <laughs> more about this subject than the rest of culture does. And you're deciding, hey, this is the stuff I'm good at that I like that yeah. I think I can add value doing. And, uh, and I think that's fantastic. Thanks. Yeah, so that's the drum that I'm beating, is that like we need to, like, the, um, the traditional revival has really broadened our horizons, and we haven't yet totally uh, integrated that into, well, what does it look like to be a professional astrologer? Um, or what is it like to be a, uh, an astrological hobbyist? Because, like, you know, I'm a student of astrology. Uh, I'm technically not... A professional astrologer yet but astrology is a huge part of my life um i've got a daily practice it informs my worldview um you know uh magic is is incredibly personal and it's something that you don't necessarily do for others um so uh, i think we really just need to like evaluate what astrology is um professionally and personally uh, outside of this uh you know natal tenure track so one of the things you brought up there is that you use it to inform your daily actions and your worldview. And yeah. This is my uh, soapbox. I think this is a super big deal. Mm-hmm. I think astrologers are doing this already. And I think it's a something that hasn't been explored enough. Um, how we can use astrology to understand the world as it unfolds yeah. as sort of a backstop for our general understanding. Yeah. Um, and again, I, this is, so it's my soapbox. I could go on and on. But I think you're talking about People being astrologers, so I think um, I don't. I think hobbyist is fine, um, you know. But I think when I think hobbyist, I think people who put together model trains. Huh. And model trains can be the main thing you do uh, after the kids are in bed and you get you know a glass of sherry and go down to your basement. Uh, whereas you know I I, fi- I have <laughs> I have solar fire on my computer all day long. Yeah. You know I, I I'm monitoring every piece every event that takes place. Uh, and I'm also looking at the transits. I mean, it, it's much more than a hobby. Yeah. Um, I, I, I feel like if I, and it, it's really a, a time-based issue, if I had more time, I would do more consultations. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have the time. 
And I, I think that you're right that if, if I did, you know, if I, if I was doing 10 consultations a month, I'd, maybe I'd feel more comfortable outwardly calling myself an astrologer. But in some ways, I think it diminishes how important it is to you and the way in which you live your life um, for you to not just take the term and, and adopt it and understand that it's your own. Like You're yeah. an astrologer and that's okay. And how you do astrology is just different than someone who, who has an office and clients come to all the time. Um, it's just a, two different ways of practicing astrology. Mm-hmm. The reason I'm apologetic about, you know, what I said about natal is because I do have a tremendous respect for that practice and it's so useful. Oh. And, um, uh, and doing it will make you a better astrologer in it, every respect. So I don't for a minute want to downplay the utility of natal astrology. It's just that I think that there are so many other things that we could and should be and can be, um, you know, integrating into what it means to be a an, an astrologer. I won't even use the word professional. Uh, I'll just say to be an astrologer. <clears throat> Couldn't agree more. And I'd add that studying electional astrology and aura astrology are really great ways to get better at natal astrology. Absolutely. You have really yeah. clear significators. And that, like, yeah, that horary t- technique... Um, it's actually, I shouldn't even call it horary technique. It's astrological technique. Whether it's applied in horary or, uh, or natal, it's the same technique. Use horary for natal. 100%. Um, I think where um, applying horary to natal astrology for me gets, um, I don't want to say fuzzy, but maybe just not a one-to-one because mm-hmm. I feel like they're because the rules are so clearly outlined mm-hmm. when you talk to about someone like say Mar, uh, Marsha Allah, or you talk about Lily, mm-hmm. um, you know, they do things differently. And because the rules are so crisp and clear and delineated, um, I think that, that there's a maturing process and you figure out what works in your practice and kind of develop your own. And I think that's more like natal, um, so just that I, I think of those, <coughs> excuse me, I think of those rules being, um, I, I don't want to give people the impression that if you learn those hard and fast rules in some forms of orary astrology, that those same um, signifiers apply one-to-one to nail. That's I think that's what I'm trying to spit out. There's probably no one confused by that, but I just felt the need to clarify. <laughs> Um, great. Well, I'm super excited. I got to talk to you. I was so impressed with what you put together. Um, uh, for people who missed this cycle, I'm going to be doing another one in September and, uh, probably what I'll do for folks like you who missed, uh, participation in one of the rounds for one reason or another, I'll have a, uh, like a informal round for stray cats roundup. Amazing. Um, so please share how people can get in in touch with you if they maybe want an orary consultation or an election or just to reach out and say hi uh where are you at uh i'm on twitter and uh instagram uh let's see worst of the verst is my uh screen name i've had forever so w-o-r-s-t-o-f-t-h-e-w-u-r-s-t um good sausage pun um that's that's where to find me Super. You can also email me, uh, worstoftheverse at gmail.com. If you, and if you, ha- you can even reach out to me like for Lyme disease questions, because that's in the verse, first in as well. 
Uh, wow, yeah, what you displayed. Um, I can't. I love that you have the exact same uh, call term for all three of those, and it's really clever. I've had it for for a really long time, and it's a keeper. So that's. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, Matthew, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we're really excited that you got to be on the show. And remember, everyone out there, a little nonsense now and then is relished by the wisest men. Have a great day.